Did you know that sheep know their shepherd's voice so well that they immediately respond to a single word and immediately flee from an imposter's voice? Since they're not predatory, they rely on their shepherd for their livelihood. They follow their shepherd and trust that they will be led to greener pastures and still waters. And actually, people are not that different from sheep. We're designed to follow the voice of the Good Shepherd. That's today on the podcast. Hey, it's Marisa from the Tower Hill production team. Thanks so much for tuning into our Tower Hill podcast. Whenever or wherever you're listening, we hope this podcast blesses you and we hope that you feel free to share it with someone that you know so that they'll feel blessed too. We have just started our new summer series called I Am, where Pastor Jason is helping us to discover what Jesus really believed about the scriptures and about himself and why it matters in our daily life today. And today we're going to talk about hearing the true voice of God and not the imposter. So let's listen in right now. Hey, Tower Hill Online. So great to be with you here today. I'm Pastor Jason. Let's jump in. We're in week two of our sermon series called I Am, Revealing the True Identity of Jesus Christ. So last week we talked a bit about signs. Signs, signs, everywhere there's signs. No, I didn't sing that, but we were talking about signs and how the sign isn't the thing itself. Signs point to something beyond themselves. Danger, thin ice, the sign itself isn't the problem, isn't the danger. It's pointing to where the danger is. And in a similar way, there are spiritual signs that God gives us all the time. But the signs, like miracles in, in the Bible or miracles we might experience today. I just heard this story a couple weeks ago about the guy who was swallowed by a whale. Did you hear this story? It actually happened. And everybody, I know all the Jonah story haters are like, man, that, that would never happen. You never get swallowed by a whale. Guess what? It's possible. <laughs> wow, what a story this guy had. This lobster died to get swallowed by a whale. Hey, talk about a sign. Signs happen all the time. Sometimes they might not be as dramatic as getting swallowed by a whale, but signs happen in our lives. And the important thing is not the sign itself, is what is that sign pointing to? Jesus often performed miracles in signs, but there was a purpose for them. They weren't an end in, their, in themselves to show off the supernatural power of God, but to point to faith. Signs point to the presence and power of God among his people. Why? So that they will believe. And we talked about this last week. There's a logic here. If you believe, you can trust. And if you can trust, you can follow. We we're looking at the signs that God used throughout Scripture and the real famous sign of the burning bush wasn't just, the, again, the sign in itself, but what was that pointing to? How did God leverage the sign to draw Moses into a deeper place of intimacy with God, of faith with God? Exodus 3, 14, God shares his name. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites I am has sent me to you. And last week we unpacked the name of God a little bit. So if you missed that message, well, I encourage you to go back and listen because we go in greater detail than what I'm going to review here. But the name of God, Yahweh, or I am, was translated into the Greek translation of the Old Testament that came around about the second, third century before Christ. 
And the reason was everybody spoke Greek uh, in the ancient Near East where Jesus was. And so if Greek was the most common trade language, so they translated from the Hebrew into Greek, and the Greek phrase for Yahweh or the I am is ego eimi. And this is significant because Jesus says this seven times, ego eimi, in the Gospel of John, to say, I am the I am. And last week we looked at, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. So today we're looking at another of the I am statements and why it matters, what it means, and how we are to apply it to our understanding of Jesus and to our lives of faith. Now today, some, some of you animal lovers out there are going to be really happy today because we're talking about sheep. Shepherding is one of the biggest motifs in the Bible. Shepherding's talked about all the time throughout the Bible, but it makes sense. This is how God speaks to people. Oftentimes, I, I wonder, a lot of people have complaints about the Bible, that it's, you know, it's talking about shepherding, and it's talking about uh, all these things that we don't really talk about now. Like, how come God couldn't talk about something more complicated? Well, the reason is, is that God speaks to human culture in a language human culture understands at the time. If God were to sort of give the ancient Hebrews Greek philosophy, they would have been like, what the heck are you talking about? It wouldn't have made any sense because that's not what their culture was talking about. So it's always what their culture will understand. And one of the motifs that they really understood was the idea of shepherding. So you see lots of illustrations that Jesus uses and the Heavenly Father uses and prophets use about gardening and farming and sheep herding. But there's a lot of meaning and importance behind this. And it leads to one of the I am statements of Jesus. But let's have a little fun here because some people say, you know, we are all like sheep. God says something about us being sheep. And that's super offensive because sheep are dumb and I'm not dumb. I, I, I don't like being called a sheep. If you get a little offended at that, don't worry. Sheep are actually pretty smart. All right. They're pretty smart. So don't get all offended before we get started. <laughs> all right. What do we need to know about sheep? What are some things, I think when you kind of learn a little bit about sheep and about what shepherding is, you start to immediately see the connection that God wants us to see about how he cares for us. So let's take a look here. Sheep, all the stuff you didn't know you needed to know about sheep. Here we go. The first one is they have flocking instincts. Why? Because they are animals of prey. They have no self-defense. So gathering together makes them feel safe. It's part of what they do. So if you're a shepherd, you want to make sure for their safety and for their feeling of safety that you are keeping them together. The next is, you know, they actually have family bonds. I was reading up on this. Who knew I needed to discover all about sheep? But apparently... Sheep will remember their family even if they're separated over long periods of time. They have a bonding, and they will mate for a lifetime. They will bond with, for a lifetime. Like, oh, wait a minute, maybe, maybe sheep uh, aren't that dumb. Now, maybe we can learn a few things from sheep. Uh, the next is they will follow a leader, either another sheep or if it's a shepherd, it's got to be a voice in a person that they have come to trust, that they have become familiar with. Sheep recognize the shepherd's voice and will only follow if they trust you. And then lastly, sheep are prone to freak out. 
They're easily spooked because they're animals of prey, right? I mean, they are, they have no claws, they have no shell, they have no armor, they just have to run. Run away! Like, that's their defense, to run away. And so, they, they get spooked. They have really great eyesight. But, uh, and so if they see anything that spooks them, they'll take off. And this becomes a problem when they leave the herd. And so shepherds have to go and find them and bring them back to safety. They're easily spooked. And so I'm thinking like, I don't know, bonding and freaking out and flocking instincts. Maybe they're a lot more like people than we give sheep credit for. So what does the shepherd do to care for and protect the sheep? So they do it first by, they make sure that the the sheep are adequately fed. They lead them to pastures. And depending on the time of year and the season, they might have to lead them to higher ground where it's a little bit cooler if it's too hot down below. But their whole job is to make sure that they are cared for, that they're tended to, that they have the nourishment that they need. They also would lead them to still water. The reason is sheep are afraid of running water, which makes sense if you're a very... um, vulnerable animal like a sheep, there's the risk of getting carried away by the water. So they don't like it. They don't like the running water. They, they prefer still water. Still water, thank you. So I think I, that's what I do at restaurants, still water. They like the still water. So that's what shepherds to make sure that they are well watered that way, understanding you can't just take them to the river. And it takes an extra level of care to deal with that, especially if you're living in that ancient Near Eastern culture where you got a lot of dry time of the year, making sure that they're watered is a really big job sometimes. But then you would also defend against predators. Tons of predators are always looking to attack the herd, to find the one that's gone astray. And so a shepherd would defend them with a rod or a staff. And you know, I mean, these were like, you know, like you're watching a, a martial arts movie, right? I mean, these were like some serious weaponry that they would use to defend and protect the herd. The other thing they would do is when they would get spooked, shepherds are good at calming the herd with the sound of their voice. Remember, they've come to trust the voice, and so they're able to calm the herd just by talking, knowing how to talk to the sheep. And then, of course, as we said before, gathering strays. If, if a sheep gets lost from the herd, I mean, the chances go up significantly that they're not going to make it back unless the shepherd can go and do a rescue. Shepherds are incredibly important for the life of the sheep. And you could could just kind of see how this all is instantly playing into our relationship with God. Now, interestingly, some people back then, so so most people had sheep, or a lot of people had sheep. Some would only have a few, but some... They didn't have the time or the inclination, or maybe they were too old to do it, but they wouldn't shepherd the sheep themselves. They would hire someone. But the hired hands were notorious. They sometimes had a reputation for not being fully invested. When the wolf comes, I might not like lay my life down to save someone else's sheep. I mean, this is a paid gig here. Like, I don't know if I'm going to do it. Jesus takes all of this and he boils it down into saying something true about himself. The difference between life and death is often the shepherd. And so this theme weaves throughout Scripture. It starts in the Old Testament, and then Jesus picks it up again. And it's all about the difference between life and death. 
what the good shepherd is here to do. Let's get into it here. So uh, this comes from uh, Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. So right away in the Old Testament, they start talking about the religious leaders of Israel as shepherds. So that connection on leadership of people was very quick to form in their culture. Like it was something that they could get their heads around. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. He calls out the religious leaders of the day and says, you've all failed. Your whole job in positions of leadership, by the way, what a great example for today's leadership. You've been called to a position of leadership to care for the flock, to lay down your life for their sake, to make sure that they are fed and cared for and protected. That's your job, and you have failed. And because you have failed, I myself am going to do this. I'm going to be the shepherd that you have been unable to to be for my people. Someone's got to do the protecting. Someone's got to do the loving and caring. Somebody's got to heal them. You clearly miss that opportunity. It's going to be me. God here makes a promise to be what the religious leaders of Israel could not the good shepherd. And this idea of the good shepherd, that God himself would be the good shepherd of his people, was woven through the tapestry of scripture all the way to the time of Jesus. And here's what Jesus says. Again, back to John's gospel, another of the I am sayings. He says this, very truly I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. Again, ego a me. I am the good shepherd. All the other voices that you're listening to in your life, they're thieves. They're looking to rob you. They're not looking to give you life. They're looking to take life from you. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the religious leader. And what Jesus is saying, remember, he's talking to the Pharisees. I am the religious leader that you all should have been and you're not. You're all thieves and robbers. 
you've only sought to indulge yourself in your own religiosity, in your own superiority, and you judge everybody against what your standards are. That's not being a good shepherd. He's basically saying, just like those Old Testament shepherds that God said had failed, I'm saying again to you, Pharisees, but I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Saying exactly, I am God who says he's going to do the shepherding himself. I am the reality of that. I am the manifestation of that promise here on earth. Big words. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I love this way of understanding God. Of understanding how God loves and cares for us. It's a wonderful metaphor. And this I am saying of Jesus, though, I think points us to something else. Just like we said last week about the sign pointing to the something deeper. I think there's something deeper here about what Jesus is saying even to us. Even though he was talking to the Pharisees and he was calling them out, I think there are implications for us in our life of faith. And for me, the first implication that I think of is this. Do you know the shepherd's voice? Would you know the shepherd's voice if you heard it? He says, my sheep know me. But one of the questions I get asked the most as a pastor is, how do I hear God's voice? I don't know God's voice. That's an indicator. That itself is a sign that there's a lacking in our relationship with God. We should hear God's voice and know it and be able to follow it. Now, this isn't intended to guilt you, but just to pique your curiosity and to invite you into a different kind, a deeper relationship with God, where you know his voice, where you could follow it accordingly. You might ask, well, how do I know? How do I start to sift out or discern God's voice amongst the other voices I'm hearing in my life? Voices of other people, voices in my own head, you know, not like we're lunatics, but voices like encouraging me to do something. Is it just my own voice and my own will or is it a will from outside of myself? Is it God's will? How do I know? There are some things that you could test that will help you along your way. These three things will help you to hear God's voice and interpret it when you hear it. The first is God's voice, the shepherd's voice, always affirms Scripture. In other words, it's, it's going to be consistent with Scripture. Whatever you're hearing God saying to you, it better be backed up. It better be consistent with what Scripture says. So what's the implication there is you have to know what Scripture says. Otherwise, you could be turned by just about any voice in your life. Yes, even by the thieves or by the hired hands. You want to hear the good shepherd's voice. You know what it is, too, is, is time spent. The sheep get to know and trust the shepherd because they spend so much time with the shepherd. I think you start to recognize God's voice the more time you spend with God. 
praying, doing a devotional, being with other Christians, talking about God together, learning. What happens is you get to know what the voice sounds like. And then when it shows up in your life, you're able to say, oh, wait, I recognize that. I recognize that voice. That sounds a lot like God. Let me check it against Scripture and make sure. But that sounds a lot like God. And then over time, it gets really easy to hear God's voice. You're like, yep, that one's God. That one's not. You start to figure that out. But your way of checking is always, doesn't line up. It doesn't line up with Scripture. Because here's why. If we believe Scripture is God's revelation of his will for us, he's not going to go against that will now. He wants to confirm that will now, if that makes sense. The second is, it's always kingdom-minded. It's always kingdom-focused. It's not just about me. It's about me in community, in the body of Christ, in the context of God's plan of worldwide reconciliation to himself. It's kingdom-minded. It's scripture-affirmed, kingdom-minded. You could say, if you could kind of identify those couple of things, you say, well, what do I mean? Well, it's not just kind of like what I want or what needs I perceive that I have, but is this something that is good for the people around me? Is it good for the people in my faith community or the people outside my faith community who this will benefit in some way? It's kind of like a tree and fruit. The fruit of a tree has a lot of nourishment in it, but only if it gets eaten. Otherwise, it just drops to the ground and dies. Kingdom fruit is the kind that's meant to nourish others. What kind of fruit are we growing with the decision that we're making? Is it for the benefit of the kingdom of God? If you can answer yes, that's a good sign that that's the shepherd's voice. And I'll throw this one in here because this is one that applies to me all the time. How do I know it's the shepherd's voice? It's often not what I want to do. <laughs> I know that's not a really scientific way it's very subjective, but for me, oftentimes when I hear what God wants me to do, it's something that isn't comfortable or something that I wish I could just ignore, and then he just keeps bringing it back, bringing it back, and I know that it's the shepherd's voice, and God has a way of working in my life that I can sort of recognize him. Again, the more time you spend with God, the more you'll recognize that happening. It's kind of like... A, you know, those folks who try to identify counterfeit money, like the FBI or folks who study that and try to make sure that they could bust and identify counterfeit forms of currency. They don't go out and study all the possible counterfeits in the world. They study the original currency and they study it so closely that they could spot a counterfeit anywhere. I think this is similar to our ability to follow the good shepherd is that we would get to know him so well, we could spot the counterfeit anywhere. We would know the shepherd's voice so well, we know who the thief is the second they open their mouth. I think that is the implication of what it means that Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and that his sheep know his voice. I wanted to, I thought this would be interesting now, to take what we've just talked about and read that famous psalm, Psalm 23 about God being the good shepherd. Maybe it will shed a new perspective on you as you think about why this psalm is so intensely comforting. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Or in other words, the difference between life and death is the shepherd. How about you? Have you put your faith in the I am? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Are you listening to his voice? Or maybe now you're finally ready. I promise you this, you won't regret it. I've got plenty of regrets in my life. I never regretted following Jesus, not for a minute. So I encourage you, get to know the I am, and you'll see who he says you are. Amen.